Listen, you're, you're used to me saying turn to Ephesians, but I, I want to push the pause button on that today because I've been praying through that um, and reading through that passage all week, and I just, I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And so I felt led to uh, today to just look at a different text that I do believe is relevant um, for our times and what a lot of people are asking questions. Um, and so I hope you'll bear with me because I feel like this is a whole lot less prepared than where I'd like to be, but I do believe it is a timely message. And I want to share with you 1 Peter chapter 4, the title of the message is Living Like There's No Tomorrow. Uh, Living Like There's No Tomorrow. We'll we'll resume our study in Ephesians hopefully next week, Uh, but I don't think unless you live under a rock, uh, it's, it's, it's easy for us to know that in this world there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now, right? I mean, just turn on the the TV, open up the internet browser, and look at it. We see things that are going on around us that are making us very aware of the fact that the world we live in is just chaotic. And when we, those of us who are raised in church, those of us who have heard preaching over the years, we see these, and we know that they are signs of the times. We see those and we're like, well, the Bible says it's going to be like this. And so naturally, one of the things to happen is people begin to question or they, they maybe renew their interest on end times teachings. Now, I'm not knocking that. I think that if that's where you want to go and you want to study it, that's great. That's fine. Some of our small group classes are looking through Daniel right now. I love looking through that study. But I was wrestling with it as a pastor. Like, God, do you want me to just jump ship here and talk on eschatology? And I just don't feel it like other people are feeling it. And that's okay. Because here's what I know, that when God tells me to do something, I've always said, oh, God, this is going to be hard, but I'm your man, and I'll do it, right? So if the Lord leads me to go that route, I want you to know I will do it in time if he leads me there. But the message that he impressed on me even more than the what and the how and the wins is the so what. And so what I mean by that is what would it matter if we knew everything there was to know about all things eschatology? For instance, you can take a scholar, a theologian from one camp, and he can lay it out just beautifully. And you're like, oh, wow, this guy's explains it perfectly and he must be right and and so he's got his theory and then you got another guy in another seminary that's a theologian and a scholar and he says no 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 I read the the same scriptures and I come up with this and so it has been a point of debate in church since the words were first written and there's one thing that we do all agree on in the church is that one day one day Christ will return again Amen. And that should be the focus. And so if we're not careful, we can get so wrapped up in and hungry for just grabbing all of the the what's going on and, and what's happening right now. And we can have it all figured out. Here's my question. What if? What if somebody cracked the code? What if today you're like, ah, boom, I got it. This is exactly how it's going to play out. And you could put a calendar to it, right? You're like, oh, we know exactly. Well, first off, the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day, so we've got to be careful with those statements. But what if you could do that? The question is, so what? What difference does it make in your life and my life right now? That's where my passion's at. That's what God has put in my heart for years is just how do we live as followers of Christ in light of the idea that one day this thing that we call the world and our life is going to end and we'll spend eternity with him in heaven, which should be the goal, right? It's like whoever places their faith in him one day will be with him for all eternity. And, And I just want you to know that's where my heart and my hope is at this morning is like, What does it look like to live like there's no tomorrow? What does it look like to make the most of every opportunity in these days? 
The world has always, always experienced wars, tragedies, and natural disasters. In fact, the scriptures were written against that backdrop, the reality of that backdrop. They, they had wars and, and famines and, and pestilence and disease and disaster. They've experienced it all. And so I, I think that the whole world for its whole existence have understood this idea that, man, this world is a wreck and one day it's all going to come to an end. And so why do we want to look at this idea of living like there's no tomorrow. Well, the reality is because none of us, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Do we know that? I think sometimes we take it for granted. I, I do. You know, you know why I know we take it for granted? Because watch this. <clears throat> I don't have time to get it done today. I'll do it. All right, right? We, we just put things off today and we say, well, we'll do it tomorrow. We Assume that tomorrow is going to be there, but there's no guarantee that it will be there. James says that life is like a puff of smoke. It's here one moment, it's gone the next. So there's no guarantee that tomorrow is going to be here for any one of us. And so we should live like today, like there is no tomorrow, making the most of every opportunity, right? So we put things off. We save money for future. We get an education for future. We make all these plans, and we save these dates, and we do all of these things. And in the midst of this, Peter um, is what we're going to be looking at today in 1 Peter, if I told you there already, chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, Peter brings us back to this reality that, hey, the world as you know it is coming to an end soon. And so how then should we live? Why should we live? I already said that, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. How should we do it? He lays it out, and I'll just go ahead and give you the three major points that I'm going to share with you today, that we should pray harder, we should love deeper, and we should serve better. Now, what I didn't say is we should hoard all the food that we can. We should get our bug out shelters. I've thought about it. I'm like, I could dig a hole in the side of the canyon over here at the church. There's a lot of great real estate, right? I mean, we should get all the weapons and all the ammo, and we would be prepared. He's like, I'm not saying that, but how do we live today in light of the fact that there may not be tomorrow, like there is no tomorrow, uh, we can do it. I think one of the best things that we could busy ourselves with as followers of Christ is praying harder, loving deeper, and serving better. So with that, let's read the passage of Scripture. We'll break it down for a few moments, and hopefully you can make something out of, um, out of this. So chapter 4, verse 7, read with me. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a great gift or a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that now in this time you would just prepare our hearts. Lord, open up our ears. Help us to eliminate distractions and just focus in on what you, not shame, what you want us to hear today. So give us ears uh, that are receptive and, ear, and, and, and heart that is receptive for your word today. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter begins with this declarative, uh, authoritative statement 
The end of the world is coming soon. Now, let me just kind of clear this up for us because from our Western perspective, we live in the United States. I'm 52. I remember hearing this my whole life. In fact, I watched um, the, 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 the movie that scared the snot out of me when I was a little boy. Um, what was it called? Left Behind. Before LaHaye wrote a book about it, I watched the movie, and I went and looked for it again a few years later, and it still scares the snot out of me, right? You're watching this movie, you're like, man, that would be crazy. And, and all around us, we're seeing these things, and, and we hear this declaration. And so from our perspective, we've been looking at it thinking, well, I'm 52. We've been talking about it for years and years before that. And what does he mean by the end of the world is coming? Is it 2023? Is it so many years after Israel became a nation? I mean, all these things. But we need to broaden the perspective a little bit and understand this. In the years of humanity, think about the creation of Adam in the Garden of Eden. You have the creation, the fall, the flood, you have all the nation, all the patriarchs, you have the kingdom, the divided kingdom, they're going into slavery, or you know, 70 years of captivity, they come back, there's the silent years, and then boom, Jesus, the first advent of Christ, the birth of Christ, which we celebrate every Christmas, right? That's the first coming of Christ. Now, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the Messiah that they'd all been hoping for, and he was there. And what did they do? They rejected his message. They sent him to a cross, and they crucified him. But three days later, you can't keep a good man down, amen? He rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven. In fact, Stephen, when he was being stoned, the first martyr in the Bible, he said, I see heaven opened up, and I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's comforting to me to know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, even today in heaven, making intercession for us in church, amen? And, and so Jesus came way back then, and so from that point there until the second coming of Christ, Oh, by the way, one thing that the entire church agrees on, Jesus is coming back, right? From the first coming to the second coming, that is considered the last days. So Peter would have been right just a few years after the resurrection of Christ to say, hey, the end of the world is coming soon. It's imminent. And, and today we're closer than we were yesterday. And today we're closer than they were when they first spoke it. So the reality is we know that somewhere on the earth, if you could pick it up and find it, there's an expiration date. God knows it. We don't, right? This world is going to, at some point, come to an end. And, and we have all these different things that are told to us in, in, in the Bible. It's like wars and rumors of wars. Check. Right? There's earthquakes in diverse places. Check. The people will love themselves instead of other. Check. You see all of this stuff going on, and yet we need to remember what Jesus said, like when he said, when you see these things happen, don't panic. I think that's a word for the church today, amen? Why? Because he's in control. If there's someone that does know the entire timeline, it is God. He is sovereign. That means he's completely in control. He's not out of control, right? It's not going to catch him by surprise. We don't have the answers. He has the answers. And on his timeline, at some point, this world as we know it will come to a close. So the end of the world is coming soon, Peter said. It's on God's timeline. And we need to be reminded as followers of Christ that this world that we grow accustomed to, that we love, that we get attached to, this world is not our home. Amen? In fact, in that same letter of Peter, um, at the very beginning, listen to what he says as he opens up his letter. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with great expectation 
And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, Christian, so be truly glad. Why? There is wonderful joy ahead. This world is not our home. There's wonderful joy ahead. He says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, we know that these trials have a purpose, right? And they test us and they prove the genuineness of our faith. And then in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, so prepare yourselves or your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. A little further down he says, so you must live in reverent fear of him, talking about God, during your time here as temporary residents. If you've placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you just need to know this. This world is not your home. We're not aiming at this world. We don't fall in love with this world or the things of this world. It's temporary. It has an expiration date. For us, we're aiming at eternity. And eternity means eternity, right? And that's what the focus of us as followers of Christ should be. It's like, you know what, I know that this world is shaky and it's crazy and can be scary sometimes, but my focus is not there. If that's where my focus is at, I'm going to be a mess. And sometimes we fall into that as Christians. We're like going, I'm freaking out right now. Jesus says, don't panic. All these things must come to place. This is the beginning of birth pains. So we know the world is coming to an end soon. So as followers of Christ, we should be careful to keep that in mind, that we're living for eternity, not the here and the now. And so we have all these signs. Jesus says, don't panic. Why? Because we can trust him. How many know he's faithful? He will never not be faithful. And you can absolutely trust him with everything in life. And when it comes to the end of the world and the timing and all the events around that, I'm like, God, I don't know. I, I can't wrap my brain. There are scholars that are arguing about it. What makes me think that I can figure it out? And I don't have it all figured out, but one thing I know, this world's not my home, and this is not my focus, and I'm not going to fear, and I'm not going to panic, but I'm going to trust even more in you. Right? Why do we live like there's no tomorrow? Because we're not guaranteed that tomorrow will be here, and so we should be living for eternity. So how do we do that? He lays out these three things. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So the first thing he mentions in light of the fact that the world is coming to an end soon is prayer. Uh, the world is ending soon. Therefore, because of this, be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. Now, when you bring up the subject of prayer in the church, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable because we're not that great at it or we're not that faithful with it. But prayer is a special gift, if you will, that God has given us. Think about this for a minute. God is omniscient. What we mean by that is that God knows everything. God knows it all. And here we are. We're finite beings. We don't know it all. I'm like going, I don't, I don't know. So he says, hey, listen, ask and it will be given. Jesus said this. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. James says the reason that you don't have is because you don't ask. And so he gives us this invitation to pray to him, not just in the small things, but in everything. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Oh, by the way, Paul wrote this from prison. Just want to throw that out there. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about... That's what it says, everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then, listen, when we pray and we thank him for all these, it just changes things. It says, then you will experience God's peace. And how many of you know this world needs to experience some of God's peace right now? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, human understanding. The world looks at us and says, how can you be calm in a time like this? It's, I, I've just been trusting God. I've been praying, and he's just given me this peace. I know he's got it under control. That's a beautiful thing, and I wonder if we're missing out on that. What's the old hymn? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless shame we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What's the song? All right, let's move on. ADHD moment. Then you will experience God's peace, with, which exceeds anything we can understand. And here's what his peace will do. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the first thing he mentions, like, hey, listen, the world is coming to an end soon, so you need to be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. You need to pray harder. It's like we need to be more intentional when it comes to talking to God, not just before the meal at the restaurant, right? We all do that. God is great. God is good. Let him thank us for the food. Amen, or whatever it is that you pray. But a little bit more Praying harder in light of the fact that the world is coming to an end soon. There's work to be done or things that need to take place. Like, God, we need to be praying like never before. Corey Tenboon asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You know, spare tires are important if you have a blowout. Man, you, you pull it out of the trunk, you hope that it's got air in it, but it's going to bail you out of a jam. And so many people treat prayer like the spare tire. Like, God, my, my world's falling apart. I'm coming to you in, in prayer. Thankfully, God don't go, who is this? He knows, right? But we, we do that. We put things off and we like, I got this under control. I'll just bring you the big stuff. He says, everything, everything with prayer and supplication. Present your request to God. So we need to pray harder. I think it was Barna in, in 2017 said 79% of the people pray, uh, admitted that they pray at least once in the past three months. I mean, for some people, you're like, Shane, that's one thing I do. I pray every day. Good for you. I'm glad. Pray for me. But if you're like me with a little ADHD and a little busy mixed into that, sometimes we can just let some of those things go. We get, just jump up and we start running through the day, right? Or we're like, I got this under control, and then blows up. We're like, I don't have this under control. God, help me. But I think all of us can understand the, the need to pray harder, to pray continuously, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, to always be praying, and not to let it just be the spare tire in times of trouble and need, but let it to be the steering wheel that guides our life every day. God, good morning. It's me again. I'm getting my day started. So far, everything's going great, but I'm about to put my feet on the floor and get out of bed. It's going to go downhill from there. I need your help. Right? The, the steering wheel that guides our lives, we should pray harder. Here's the thing. God has all the answers. We have all the questions. And prayer is the means that God has chosen to bring about those answers to us. Why wouldn't we come to him in prayer? God, you're omniscient. And I, I know that all the experts are talking right now. And I'm seeing the signs of the time that you've been saying is going to come. And I'm just a little bit confused right now. Would you please give me clarity? Would you please give me understanding? 
He has the answers. We have the questions. We should come to him. So he says, pray. Pray harder. I think we could all agree that we need to pray harder. Amen? It's not a rebuke. So I earlier said, hey, it was convicting. I'm like, hey, that's between you and God there. But I think all of us could look at it and say, God, I, I see how things are just blowing up and getting crazy and out of control. And, and maybe it's a reminder for me to just pump the brakes and say, in this moment, what's the most important thing that I can be doing? I think prayer comes to the very top of the list, right? Pray harder. Notice the second thing he says in verse 8. Most important of all, that is, that's, that's pretty significant too, continue to show deep love for each other. So I say love deeper. The word uh, deep there is uh, ectonase, and it means eager, it means constant, it means intense, it means stretched. So imagine for a moment a horse. We had two horses in our pasture for a while, um, Dolly and Blaze. Dolly was a barrel horse, and I'm not a barrel racer. I'm not even a horse rider, right? And Lyndall came over one time and just wore her smooth out. She's sweating, dripping. He goes, you want to ride her? I'll ride her now. She's tired. But when you got on her fresh, she wanted to run. And not just trot, full on run. Like legs stretched out, right? Just this intense strength. That's the picture that comes to mind when, when he talks about the kind of love that we are to have. We're to show deep, intense, continually, continual love for one another. Now, I think we could all agree that when it comes to love, this is an important one for us to walk in because if we follow the world's template and we listen to the, the world's you know, pattern, uh, we're not going to love like God wants us to love. That, that kind of love the world offers is a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? You, you, you scratch me, you hurt me, I'll scratch your eyes out, or I'll do, uh, I'll do to you before you do to me. I mean, that's the kind of love the world has, but the love that we're called to walk in is this word agape, and it's the selfless, sacrificial love, the same kind of love that Jesus showed to each one of us. What Peter's saying is, in, in view of the fact that the world is coming to an end soon, you need to pray harder and you need to love deeper. You need to not just do the surface love. In West Texas, you know, we, we hope that the, the roots of the trees go down deep because the wind is pretty gnarly and it'll topple a tree. And so a tree with deep roots is solid, it's secure, and a love that is deep like that is also a solid love. Amen? Amen. And so he says, love deeper. Matthew 24 says this, in the last days, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Jesus said that. The love of many will grow cold. Paul says to Timothy, his protege, he says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves, that's selfish, and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like that. And that's what the world is going to look like in the end times. And, and, and in contrast to that, in this chaos, in this non-loving, this selfishness, he says, hey, listen, the world is coming to an end soon, so I want you to love deeper. This love that we're told to walk in is best defined in 1 Corinthians 13. We use it in weddings all the time. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. It is not arrogant or boastful or proud or rude. It does not keep record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice when, whenever, whenever evil wins, but when truth wins out, it is always, always there. It never fails. This is the type of love that we're called to walk in. This is the kind of love that changes things. Notice it says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Calypto covers, it hides. He's quoting from here Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all transgressions. It just kind of deals with it by hiding the faults or looking over the faults of others. Can I just be honest to you? You may not know this, but I'm not perfect. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to let somebody down. I'm going to fail somebody. And I hope that when I do that, that you're going to look over some of those faults. You're going to show me grace, right? But the reality is, is sometimes in the community of faith, we're not very patient with one another. And there are those as Christians that feel like it is their spiritual gift or their right to point out the sins and the flaws of other people. And so what Peter says here is like, hey, listen, love each other deeply because when you do that, it has a tendency to just forget, to forgive, to cover, to conceal other people's faults and failures. We could use a little bit of that today in church. Amen? So the end of the world is coming soon. Pray harder. Love deeper. And this third point, I think, is equally important. Verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Can I just tell you, if you've placed your faith in Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God, that is God the Holy Spirit, has moved into you, right? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. And when the Holy Spirit rolled up in your house, he brought with him special abilities and gifts, to give to you. And so it is my conviction that there's not one Christian walking on the earth that does not have at least one gift. So wouldn't it be, I don't know, interesting or important enough to us to know what is it? Like, what, God, what did you gift me to do? What have you called me? What have you given me a special ability to do? How are you going to use me for the sake of the body of Christ? Now, the church I grew up in, we viewed spiritual gifts as the, ooh, ah, I've got them and you don't. And it kind of created a little arrogance, a little I'm better than you. And we treated spiritual gifts more like a toy box, you know, where we go to play. It's like, woo, look at the gifts. Rather, what the Spirit had tended when he gave the gifts were more like a toolbox. And you go to the toolbox and it has a purpose. What do you do with tools? You, you build up, you fix things, right? And so the purpose of the gifts are given to the body so that the body can be equipped and built up and mature. It's to the benefit of the body, not to self. Amen? So I just know how it makes me feel. Good, great. There's probably a little bit of that that happens, but that's not the purpose of the spiritual gifts. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is to benefit the body of Christ. The question is, do you know what yours is, and are you employing it now for the benefit of the body? Because what he's saying is, in light of these end times, the world is coming to an end soon, God's given you a spiritual gift, a great variety of his spiritual gifts. Listen, use them well to serve one another. Serve better. Now, I know that there are a lot of people, that's just their, man, they're good at it. They're good at serving. They see a need before a need comes up, and they're just like right on it. And then there are those who are like, hey, somebody's probably got that under control. They don't need me. I'm probably not any good at it. Let somebody else do it. 
But the reality is in many churches today in the body of Christ, when you see a need that's not being met, just, can I just throw this out? Is it possible that that need is not being met because you're the one that's holding the ability and the gift to fill that need? And so how much more important is it for us today to understand what God has gifted us and brought us together and what the purpose of that is and to say, God, I want to use every bit of what you've given to me for the benefit of the body of Christ. And I can just tell you right now, look at, uh, he gives us two examples. One of them is verse 11. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. This morning in my prayer, I was like, God, if that's true, and you said, I've got the gift of speaking, then I want you to speak through me today as though I'm a megaphone. It's not me, it's God through me. And that's what I want, right? If God has given you the gift of speaking, then do it as though you're speaking the very words of God. And then the next one is, do you have the gift of helping others? Can I ask you a question? In Israel today, the believers that are there, and they're just being bombed daily, those believers are just huddling together, and they're just meeting needs wherever those needs come up. I promise you, they're busy about helping others in this moment. Amen? You think about it in the, in the context of the world ending soon, how much more should we be involved in the benefit of the body? Again, it goes beyond selfish and it's selfless. It's like, it's not about me, but it's how can God use me for the benefit of the entire body? They're not toys, they're tools, they're not self-focused, they're others-focused. And so he says, hey, listen, the end of the world's coming soon, so pray harder, love deeper, serve better. And then watch this, the purpose. Then everything you do, everything you do, and, and you know, we're living in the last days. Is it tomorrow? Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Is it a month? I don't know. But everything you do, whether it's through your prayer, whether it's through your loving, or whether it's through your serving, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That should be the goal of every one of us, amen, that we bring glory to God. If you think about what he's done for us and our walk through Ephesians over the past uh, month or so is like, you know, living life worthy of the calling and equal balance to what God has done for us in the gospel. It's like, I want my life to bring glory to God. And of course, he closes with this doxology, all glory and power to him forever and ever, amen. So question, what do we do? What do we do? If we live like there's no tomorrow, I said a moment ago uh, that we trust, but um, I want to take that a step further. Maybe you're here today and you've not placed your faith in the gospel. I need you to know this, that whatever you experience in this world, it's the best that it'll ever get without a personal relationship with Christ. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just what the scriptures tell us, right? And so whatever you experience in this world, it's as good as it's going to get. But for those of us who place our faith in the gospel, like I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. It is my foundation. I'm building my life on that. That's where my hope is at. Right on Christ the solid rock. All of the ground is sinking sand. That's where I'm at. Then you need to know this. This world and all the crazy is the worst that we will ever experience. It really makes a difference. And so the most important decision you can make is to place your faith in the gospel. If you're here today and you're like, I've not taken that step of trusting in the gospel for salvation, I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. And it begins by saying, hey, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I think every one of us would acknowledge that we have sinned, right? The Bible says on our best day, our sins are like filthy rags compared to him. We completely miss the mark when it comes to this thing called righteousness. But the good news is God made a way for those sins to be forgiven and it's not by your works. It's not by your church attendance. It's not by your pedigree or like your family, you know, who you grew up with. It is by grace that we have been saved. 
And that is demonstrated for us through Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross, he paid your sins, he paid my sins. And our response is to trust in him, to put our hope in him, to follow him in saving faith. Amen? Most important decision you make. And I would say trust him. He's got it under control. I don't panic. I'm like, God, I know you got this. I'm not, I've not been panicked. I see something else, and I'm like, well, there you go. There's another one. Ooh, there's another one. Oh, there's a shooter in Maine. Oh, there's another earthquake. Oh, there's another bomb. Oh, now Iran's talking. Uh-oh. Oh, Mog, Gog, Magog. Who's that? I mean, if we're not careful, we can get so overwhelmed with all this information. We're like going, ah, and we're panicking. When in reality, it's like, hey, what are you doing today? How do you make today count? How do you live today like there is no tomorrow? As I said a moment, it doesn't matter what we know. What matters is what we do with what we know. Amen? And so maybe for us, it's like going, God, let me just reaffirm that I trust that you got things under control. And let me reaffirm to you that, God, I, I know that you said no man knows the day or the hour. And we know the seasons, and so it should make us ready. I think some of us treat God like he's just going to, I mean, imagine if he said, all right, tomorrow morning at 1030, I'm going to come back. Sweet. Got a few more hours, right? When I was uh, working in the cable industry, uh, one of the cable uh, bosses, our office was in Lockney, and he would drive over to Oklahoma, and it was just common knowledge that if he showed up, somebody's getting fired. And so you're like, is Danny coming? Uh Uh-oh, somebody's getting fired. And I remember as a young man, I'm like, I can't afford to get fired. So he would just show up. If you're not wearing your cable shirt, you know, poof, he might just say, you're fired. There might be a reason behind it, but that was the, you're fired. If your truck was not clean, it's like, you're fired. And so guess what we were doing? If we thought Danny was coming to town, we were all out there washing our trucks. We we're putting our shirts on, tucking them in, right? Because we knew he was coming. As followers of Christ, we know Christ is coming. We don't know when, but we should live every day of our life as though there would be a surprise inspection tomorrow or at this moment. Amen? It's like, let's don't wait till the last minute and go, I got some time. I'll deal with it later. I mean, if it's two weeks from now, I can live it up for two more weeks. And then on the last minute, I'm not going, let me clean house. Jesus is coming. His return is imminent. And we as followers of Christ should live every day as though we're making the most of every opportunity to live every day like there is no tomorrow. So let me encourage you to strike up a conversation with God. Revisit this thing called prayer. Say, God, I admit that I got kind of busy and I put that on a back shelf and the most important thing that I can be doing right now is getting on my knees and praying for my lost neighbor or family member, to be praying for our country, to be praying for Israel, all those people that have not come to the faith yet, to pray for our church, our community, those that are going through hardships in life. And sometimes we put that on the back burner because it doesn't affect us directly. And I can tell you, nothing changes that intensity um, like a loved one that's very close to you being in the hospital or having a medical scare. Man, we can pray. We can fervently pray in those moments. But maybe for us, it's just like, let's take another look at this praying to God. Strike up a conversation with him. Pray together with your spouse. Let them hear you praying. It's private, Shane. Fine, but communication with God, I'm going to tell you there's a big benefit to praying with your wife and to praying over your wife verbally where she hears it, where she, she does it, where I hear it. I think that it's important for us to do that. I think it's important for us to see our kids model that. Amen? How are they going to handle the crazy that's going on around the world when we're gone? Hopefully we model for them like in everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, present your request to the Lord. 
How do they know that unless they see us model it? So let's model that. Let's, let's pray harder. Let's love deeper. Let's consider the relationships that God has put around us. Maybe there's some tension. Maybe there's an offense. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that you're holding on to. And I just want you to know that God forgave us. And he says in the same way that he forgave us, he wants us to forgive others. And so to love deeper would mean to not be shallow and say, well, God don't know what I've been through. Really? God knows what we've been through. But say, God, I want to be obedient there, and I want to let that go. I want to cover that. I want to forgive them of that offense. Or maybe you want to look a little deeper at serving. God, what have you gifted me to do? What have you called me to do? Not everybody will be on the stage. Not everybody will be singing. Not everybody will be in the front line. Some are behind the scenes, and they're the most important and valuable pieces to the whole thing. I believe that every member of the body of Christ is a minister. Every one of us have been given a gift, an ability for the benefit of the body of Christ. So find your gift. Search those out. We've, we've talked about this a couple times over the past few months. It's like discover that gift. Find a way to utilize what God has gifted you to do for the benefit of the body. And the question is, is how will Christ find us living when he returns? Like that surprise inspection. Will he just pop in in a moment? I hope that... We are making the most of every opportunity that's in front of us. I hope that we're living a life worthy of the calling that we've been called to. I hope that he will find us faithful. Amen? With the joy that is before us. With the hope that is unshakable. This world is very shakable. Though the mountains are thrown into the sea. Look, he is faithful. And holding on to that hope that we have through the gospel this sustains us, and we can literally walk through this season saying, you know what? The Bible said it was going to happen, and we know it's going to happen, but what I'm most concerned about is not knowing all the ifs, ands, and whys, and hows, and all that stuff, but, or, and even the whos, but just say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I don't want to miss that. It's so much more important than knowing all those other details, Right? living like there's no tomorrow. Father, would you make that a reality in our heart today? Would you just bring us face to face with that conviction of your Holy Spirit that you would just show us the need today to take stock of life and to quit just going through life on auto, autopilot, living it every day just like nothing's going to happen. We know, we know, and we know that you're coming back, and we celebrate that because we know that this is not our home. Lord, our hope is not in this life or in uh, our country being uh, surviving anything. I mean, our, our hope is in you in a home that is, Revelation 21 said there's no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more death, no more dark. That's where our focus should be. And God, as we put our focus there, it puts within us this hope, this sense of confidence and joy and great expectation that no matter what goes our way, Lord, we're living our life with purpose, and, and when everybody else is frantic and wringing their hands, we're rolling up our sleeves and saying, it's time for me to get serious. It's time for me to go to work. And so, God, would you please speak to our hearts? Lord, would you help us to take a step toward obedience today? If there be anyone here today that's not placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they say, God, I want, I want to trust you in my life. I want to know and have that same hope, that same confidence Lord, that Pastor Shane talked about today, that to know that to be absent from the body is to be in your presence for all eternity. I want that. God, if that's them today, I pray that they would respond to you. And Lord, I pray that you would just work on all of our hearts today, that we would just take stock of our own lives and that we would live in light of eternity 
making the most of every opportunity in these evil days and living today like there is no tomorrow. God, then everything that we do today, tomorrow, in the following days and years, everything that we do will bring glory to you because you're the one that's worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. And so, God, we thank you and we say all praise and honor and glory belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.